Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview-style podcast. Those interviews are all involved in the off-road industry. Being involved, like all of my guests are, is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to competitive teams, racers, rock crawlers, business owners, employees, media and private park owners, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active and off-road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world we live and love and call off-road. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Have you seen Four Low Magazine yet? Four Low Magazine is a high-quality, well-written, four-wheel drive-focused magazine for the enthusiast market. If you still love the idea of a printed magazine, something to save and read at any time, Four Low is the magazine for you. Four Low cannot be found in stores, but you can have it delivered to your home or place of business. Visit fourlowmagazine.com to order your subscription today. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Jason Blanton. Jason is an old-time rock crawler with Cal Rocks or We Rock. I'm not sure where the transition came in but uh, with him, but we will talk to him about that and his Ultra 4 racing and his career as a, as a contractor and his life growing up. So, Jason, thank you so much for coming on board and spending the time recording with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, let everybody know. I'm going to let everybody know that uh, – Technical difficulties has been the name of the game with this one, and it's all been on my side. But Jason's been uh, been very good about uh, me calling him back 10, 12 times. So I think we finally got it worked out. Uh, let's hope so. That's good. Okay. So let's uh, let's jump right in. And, uh, you know, where were you born and raised? I was born in Mesa, Arizona, and uh, pretty much moved when I was a pretty young child up to Washington. So been living in Washington and Kirkland, Washington for my whole life, pretty much. Okay. And what is the neighborhood like up there? Is it rural or suburban? Very suburban. We live four miles from Seattle. It's, you know, there's asphalt everywhere and you're 40 feet from your neighbors. It's not, not farmland by any means. And what took the family from Mesa to Kirkland? Uh, my mom got a good job opportunity up here. So we moved up from Arizona and she works in the hospitality industry and, uh, moved up here to to better things. Excellent. Excellent. And it's, it's a great area to grow up in. Um, I've spent a lot of time on the, the Western side of, of the mountains there and on the Eastern side with the events out there, but, uh, good area to grow up in. Would you agree? Oh yeah. I've been all over the place and all over the world. It's, it's a great place to live. It's a very mild place. You know, it's like not super hot in the summer, not super cold in the winter, but you'll get all the seasons and trees everywhere and lots of mountains close by. So a lot of stuff to do. So what was it like growing up there in Kirkland? What were the family activities? What were your activities? 
Um, I did a lot of sports as a child. So I did a lot of sports for, you know, road bikes and skateboard and snowboard. I didn't snowboard till I was a little bit older, like uh, middle school, but pretty much grew up playing every sport there is. <laughs> and I got old enough to say I didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> I was going to say, what's your favorite and what was your favorite growing up at sport to play? Uh, I like baseball. So I played a lot of baseball. Um, and soccer was mainly the biggest things that we played, but I was pretty good at baseball and I had a lot of time, fun at baseball. And we had like a, my dad and I got a free pitching machine. So we built like a batting cage in our backyard and it was, it was a good time. It was fun. Excellent. And do you still watch baseball? Does it still, is it still a fun sport for you? No, I don't like to watch it. <laughs> yeah, that's that. <laughs> pretty boring. Yes. Rather watch soccer or football or hockey or something, but not baseball. Baseball, the, my problem with baseball, and even when when I did play, it was there was so much time. Like you were waiting for something to happen. I mean, if you're a pitcher and catcher, I, I caught, so there was uh, you know at least I was in the action, you might say. But it just seemed like you know if you were an outfielder. You know, you were waiting sometimes like all day long for something to happen. Oh, yeah, I agree. It's kind of like I played pitcher and I was shortstop and then I played a little bit of outfield. Outfield was just like just hanging out there waiting for something to come your way. It was quite boring. Yeah. And then you got into (laughs) snowboarding and uh, how how big of a how big was that in your life? Uh, That was pretty big in my life. I played all sports really up until high school. And then I was getting pretty good at snowboarding at that time. You know, this is back in the day when there wasn't a whole lot of snowboarding was new. So it was exciting and new to me. And I gave up all my other sports just to snowboard. So I pretty much just work as much as I could in high school so I could snowboard in the winter as much as I wanted. And you said you worked in high school. What, what kind of jobs were you doing? Uh, I worked my first job when I was like 14. I carried plywood for a roofing company. So I like helped stock roofs. And then when I was 16, I worked at a tire shop. So I worked at a big O tires and I swapped tires and did oil changes for a couple years. So that was my like high school days. And then when I finished up high school, I was working at an off-road shop. Okay. And what off-road shop was that? Oh, I think it was called Off-Road Outlet. Okay. Yeah, so they're no longer. Yeah, I was going to say, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of them have come and gone. <laughs> exactly. So then when you were, you know, school, um, was it was it easy? Was it hard? Did you just not care? What was, what was your attitude towards school? Uh, I was pretty good at school. Uh, my parents are really pressed us hard to be good in school so i did really well in school up until high school then i kind of slacked off a little bit but i still did pretty good i think i had like a three five when i graduated in high school but before that before i got to snowboarding in high school i was like a 4.0 student for my whole life okay and what was while you were growing up what was it that you wanted to do or become man when i was growing up i i wanted to ride dirt bikes and <laughs> snowboard and do fun stuff. And it, it was one of those things like my parents wanted me to do sports. Right. So it wasn't, 
really they weren't helping me out as much to do like snowboarding and riding motocross uh, i was super lucky when i was younger one of my buddies uh sean stroud he had a dirt bike that he like totaled and so it was my opportunity to get a dirt bike so i got it off him for free because like, oh, this thing's like broken half so you can have it <laughs> so i got that <laughs> and my dad and i like fixed it all back up and got it running that was like my first dirt bike and what was it it was a kx125 okay cool and uh were you in high school at that point or grade school i was in uh high school at that high time school. so okay. i got a dirt bike what was your the first car that you were able to drive my first car was my parents actually gave me it was an 84 bronco 2 it was baby blue and white there you go, styling. Yeah, it was pretty <laughs> sweet. <laughs> and I, uh, I got that thing when I they they basically like handed the keys over to me when I was fifteen, and uh, they're like, "All right, you can do whatever you want with it." So I bought like a James Duff lift at the time. So I put a James Duff lift on it. So when I was sixteen, it was already lifted and it was on like thirty-five inch Thornbird. So it was it was pretty ridiculous, especially where we live. <laughs> Yeah, but Thornbirds look cool. They they look cool, but they were the worst tire. I mean, stuck all the time. So did did you have any did you have any problems with like the those huge tread blocks coming off? I never had problems because I don't think I had enough power at the time. So okay. it just had little crappy V six in it. <laughs> and then uh, yeah, I had that was when I was a sophomore, and then by that only lasted about a year. I got bored with that, so then I took that. I met a guy that had totaled like a 74 Bronco. So then I bought the axles off him. So I had a 45, 44 swapped it in a nine inch rear. And then I put coil springs all the way around and four linked it. And then, um, I found a 302 carbureted and shoved that in there. So this is all when I was in high school. So now I had like a V8 truck on boggers. So I switched from Thornbirds to boggers. Okay. That's a good choice. Yeah. You know, most of the kids in my school drove like Hondas and BMWs and stuff. And I drove a Bronco two with a V8 and Boggers. So, and, and I, what color was that? Was that Bronco? It was still baby blue and white okay. until I got to senior year. And then I got bored again and I decided to cut the roof off. So then I took the back windows out, cut the roof off and we caged it in high school. And then it, I spray painted it all like gray and it had black scallop flames on it. It was Pretty ridiculous at that time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when when did you, in that car, you drove back and forth to school? Yeah, I drove it back and forth to school, yep. Okay, how how was it, how did your dates feel that, I'm sure you dated back then, so how were yeah. your dates feeling about climbing into something like that? Uh, I mean, they dealt with it, but it was kind of, <laughs> kind of like, like I said, like where we live, it's just like uncommon to see that kind of stuff. I had like a couple friends that were into off-roading at the time, like handful of buddies I'm still friends with now. But yeah, it was it was odd. And people knew me because of my truck and all that kind of stuff. So Well, that's good. I had uh I borrowed a friend's oh Fiat one twenty four spider, so it had the uh convertible and went on a date and it was a actually a blind date picked this girl up and she had hair that went down past her waistline and (laughs) 
She looks at me and she goes, really, a convertible? And I said, yeah, it'll be great. She goes, do you see my hair? And I'm thinking, <laughs> this date is not going to last very long. <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> when she did, when When she was not thrilled about getting into a sports car with a convertible, you know, it was, you know, that, that racing red and everything. It was like, girl, this isn't going to work. I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> yeah. You get what you get. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and after about 10 miles of driving and her complaining the whole time, I turned around and took her home. <laughs> <laughs> so much yeah. for blind dates. She was That's hot, right. but not worth it. <laughs> 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 so you're, uh, you're married. Did you uh, did you go to school with your wife, or did you meet her later? Uh, I met her later in life. Okay. So, yeah, I pretty much went to school. Um, I went to Central Washington University for like a year, and then I got bored because I did all the electives I wanted to do, like you know, like machining stuff and all that. And I've just been been working my whole life, so whole lot of working. And I met my wife. I don't know, like. I think it's been 10 or 11 years ago now. So, yeah, when I first met you, you were hanging out with Keith. And you, yeah. guys, you guys came out to compete. And I don't remember Epic Goldendale. And I don't remember if it was Cal Rocks back then or We Rock. I think it was We Rock. I think it was 2007 or 2008. And Keith and I built a buggy in my parents' garage. And that's the car that we competed in. Keith was actually the driver. Right. And I was spotting for him. So that, that was our start of rock rolling. Okay, cool. And so, yeah, that was We Rock at that time. Yeah. So leading up to that, um, school, you know, you you were really interested in in snowboarding, but uh, that didn't continue on. Did Was there a reason for that? Uh, I mean, I always snowboard a bunch, but it never came to where I got paid to snowboard. So it kind of fell back on just going back to work you know right <laughs> i worked i worked at the past and i taught snowboarding and i did everything i could to just snowboard as much as possible and that probably like really affected my school because i we lived my school was 30 minutes from the mountain so i would just do school as quick as i could and go snowboard and then i'd work work during the week so i could snowboard on the weekends or vice versa right okay yeah and then what was uh as you were growing up, you your dad had been a a contractor, and then uh, what else did he do? Did uh, you know uh, my my dad was a contractor till we my sister and I started going to school, and then we couldn't afford like daycare at the time, so we he actually quit doing construction. He also had like a ton of back injuries, got like a bunch of back surgeries. And he started driving school bus. So he, that way he'd have the same hours that we did. So he'd be off when we got off and have the summer breaks off with us and all the, all the breaks. He was there with us. That's awesome. Yeah. So what did you guys do for, you know, family wise vacations or, you know, for, for no, fun? Uh, we did, we did a lot of work. I mean, we, once a year, we'd probably go to Hawaii once a year and then, We'd go on some random trips. We also, at the time when we were younger, my parents had bought some property in the Hood Canal. So it's like right down on saltwater, right on the beach. But it, the property was just covered in sage, what is it called? Witch's broom and 
blackberry bushes. So we pretty much go camping there every weekend and work and cut down bushes to clear the property <laughs> for years. <laughs> so that was our form of work was going and like whack down trees and bushes. And then it finally that they still had that property. So we basically got it a long time. When we were kids and we worked on it every year until they could build a cabin there. Okay. So you were able to, to complete all the brush cutting. Oh yeah. That's good. Year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we had the same thing. We, we had bought property. My parents had bought property up in, uh, Placerville where I'm at right now. And they, uh, the house there was the same thing. They, it was the whole back prop part of the property was in blackberries and it seemed like every spring it was back up there to cut them all down again. Oh, it was like endless, man. And it, they and you can't kill those damn things. It seems like, right? Yeah, I mean, you got to take them all the way down to their like root ball to get them to stop growing. Right, and you can't use all the good chemicals. That, you know, because of the Western states, they they outlawed all the good chemicals that could re- actually kill that stuff. I just remember doing like. You would cut them all down, and then you get them dried out, and then you just have a giant, like, burn pile. And we would just burn it. And we were hoping, like, scorching the earth would kill the roots. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get, you know, I mean, everybody else in your, your school and everything had, you know, cars. You were, you know, one of the few that probably had four-wheel drive, and you started modifying it. What What got you to want to do that? I don't remember exactly what got me into it, but I know, uh, like I'd always been playing around with a couple of my buddies and they'd have, you know, we'd always be like, we'd want to go dirt biking. We want to do like outdoor stuff. We'd go camping in the mountains and stuff like that. And got turned into when I got my first car, it was okay. Well, I already got this car. It's not a car. It's a Bronco too. So let's do something cool to it. So I did that and I did some research and found all that stuff. And that's probably what got me into off-roading. I'm sure if I would have gotten like a car when I was my first car, if it was something I could have souped up to be a street car, I might have been more into street cars. But I really fell in love with off-roading when I was young and just going out in the woods and being gone and away from everything and playing with my buddies. Cool. And how did the whole thing work out with Keith that you guys ended up building a, a rig? Keith, actually, his older brother, Sean, and Sean and I hung out all the time because he worked at the snowboard shop that I hung out at all the time at. And he got into off-roading as well. And so we'd work on each other's cars in my parents' garage. And Keith at the time was way into bikes. Like he's super good at riding BMX bikes. He's still really good at riding bike. So he wasn't really into fabricating. He would just come over and hang out in the garage and sit and watch us wrench. And so... <laughs> I remember when we were kids and we would just be like, Keith, just sit there and watch us. Like you need to find out. Like we don't we know you don't know anything. Just sit there. And it turned into him sitting there and then all of a sudden he got all into welding and took some welding classes and now he's like way better fabricator than any of us. So he's he that's probably how he got his start, hanging out in our garage and watching us work and decided that he wanted to start wrenching too, and that got him started into fabrication. Awesome. So yeah. let's talk about the progress from working jobs to becoming a contractor yourself. How did that process play out? 
Uh, so I just worked normal jobs. Uh, I was actually like working at a boating store for a while when I was younger too. And then when I was about 18 or 19, I started a demolition company and we did TI stuff. So I would, I would work at the Marine store during the day. And then at night we would go do commercial demo. So we'd go in there and rip all the carpets out and prep areas for reconstruction. And that was like, I was making good money in my, my first truck that I've ever owned was a old, what is it? It was an old Kaiser that my uncle gave me. And that was my truck. That's what I used to like throw demolition debris in. And it had like drum brakes that sucked and a horrible engine. It was a manual transmission and had, you know, had a rag top. It was an old army truck. And that's what we used to haul debris for a good year or so. And then, um, I, you know, figured out that sucked driving an army truck. So then I had to buy another truck and, uh, the guy I was partners with at the time, he kind of, he was going to school as well and he got more sucked into school. So that demolition thing kind of faded away. And so I needed something else to do. And I'd grown up doing remodels for my parents just like i said like we didn't do like a whole lot of traveling and fun stuff we worked on a lot of things so my parents would buy rental properties and i would go and help my dad remodel them all so i knew how to do it all i just never took the steps to like do it on my own and uh yeah after the demolition company dissolved we i just got a phone call one day from one of my mom's friends it's like hey your mom said that you know how to work on houses can you come remodel my condo and it started like that it started i was had the kaiser sold that and then i was in a honda so i had like a honda accord at the beginning of my construction days when i actually started my construction company hey and uh did it did you put a lumber rack on it no no lumber rack i just i would if i had to have like bigger supplies taken out my dad was always cool and he's like you can just take my truck and he would let me borrow i think he had a an old Chevy dually at the time. And I would borrow that to like deliver supplies. And my parents actually let me borrow their chop saw and table saw to like start my business. And I gave it, I bought them new ones when I could afford to get new tools for them and slowly worked up to where I am now. Started with nothing in a Honda. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. And, uh, just following your social media, it looks like you're doing pretty well. And I, I'm, I'm proud of that. That's good. Yeah, we're, we're busy. It's like more busy than I want to be a lot of times, you know. It's like, you know, the grass is always greener. <laughs> you know, I see like other people are like, man, they're like, I have more time off. And I work a lot. So there's between working and racing and my family, it's, you know, I don't sit down much. If I sit down, I'm probably going to fall asleep. So I just keep going until it gets dark. Well, you're still a young man, so use all those hours you can. <laughs> when, you gonna. Get, yeah, when you get my age, you start going, man, I wasted a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> I hope, I hope that when I get to your age, I'm like, let's just go wheeling. I'm like ready to hang out and not work my butt off, but we'll see how that goes. There you go. That's the, that's the place I'm at right now. So, and it's nice. <laughs> it is nice. I I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> you have a few years to catch up, so. Yeah, exactly. So then, how did you come up with the name um, of your construction company? You know, like, 
when I was, when I started, I was young, I was like 19 or 20 years old. So I was way into drinking at the time and partying. So my favorite drink was crown Royal. So that's why <laughs> I started my business and it was crown construction because of that. Um, I probably regret that now at this point. So I've been trying to do a couple like, uh, DBA changes in the past few years, just trying to be grown up again and have a better name at this point. Like I don't, people really don't even, it's, I'm a referral based business, so I don't do any advertising or anything. And I couldn't handle the load if I did. So I just, people probably don't even know my company name really. They just have my phone number and they get it passed along by all clients and all my business is just people calling me up and hey this person told me you did work can you come do this and we're slammed so well that's great nope. because at that point when when they're calling you and it's off of referrals they know pretty much what you're going to end up charging for what yes. they do because you know their friend they go oh man you know nice remodel what would that cost you and then they, they then they then they ask who did it what's the name you know and they get in touch with you. So they, they're going into it, you know, with, with the knowledge that, you know, what, what their, their bill could be. Yeah. hundred percent. I don't, if I go to a job and they're having me bid against other people, I typically, unless it's a big enough job, I don't even bid it. I'm just like, I'm just too busy to take on that work. So we don't, I don't typically bid against people, which is nice. It's I'm very lucky to not have to like fight that hard for the projects. So it's, it's definitely worked my butt off to get to this point, And I'm glad that I did. Well, and, and your detail must be, must be phenomenal if you're not having to, to bid out against people. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the hardest part is, is that transition point where we're big enough now that clients like to hire me for me. Right. And, but I can't be on every job every day so it's tough on some people because they you know they're like we want you here and i'm like well i just i have eight to twelve projects so it's just impossible for me to be here every day I, i'm always in contact with my project managers and and my guys so i know what's happening but to have that face-to-face -face with clients i think some people like hire our company for me you know so it's it's a difficult thing to figure out how to transition that portion of the company I agree. I that was a landscape contractor in the El Dorado County, Placerville, Sacramento area, and the same thing. I mean, I rarely had to bid against anybody, but you know, I had three crews at one time going, and you know, that was I'd try to spend a little bit of time every day, you know, in the morning hours to get the crews, making sure the crews were on point. But you know, any more than three, and I wouldn't have been able to do that. Yeah, I spend a lot of time driving. <laughs> exactly. I just do I do as best as I can and I'm like I'm I'm doing as best as I can with what I can and the amount of time that I have. So it's 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 at some points it's like you just downsize and make it back how it used to be or do you know like try to build bigger. I, it's it's a hard like decision to make. It is when you get when you're at that point where you know that threshold where okay, I'm maxed out with everything I'm doing now, do I want to keep it here, scale back and enjoy it a little bit more or take the step and, you know, maybe bring in a partner or, and then expand even more? That's a, it's a tough choice. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a daily stressor that I think about. Cause it's just like, man, like right now, like you're saying, I'm maxed out and 
being maxed out every day is, is tough. So it's, it's one of those things. It's like, uh, like you either make the next step and you go up or you, you, you pull back a little bit. And like you said, you can enjoy it more and, and do it. It's just, you know, I enjoy my time off too. So when I, I work my butt off to take the time off. Right. And you're, uh, you're married now and have a couple of kids, correct? Yeah, I have three kids. They're, uh, I have two younger girls that are 11, 13, and then I have an older son that's 18. Okay. And uh, you guys do a lot of family activities? We try to do as much as possible. I try to bring them as to most of the races that I go to, if they can make it with school and everything. And then on uh, days that we aren't doing soccer, my two girls play a like, competitive club soccer. So it's a five day a week thing. So it soaks up a ton of time. Um, so we are either doing soccer and then on weekends that we have off that I'm not racing or doing an event, then we go backpacking. So we go backpacking or hiking and try to stay outdoors. We definitely aren't the kind of people that sit down and watch TV. We're like always doing something. That's awesome. That's great to hear. So let's yeah. talk about your your racing program. What your uh, what you've got going and how long you've been doing it. Yeah, well, see, I've been doing it personally driving since 2009 was when I did We Rock. I built a car. Keith and I built a car that was I I built a car with bypass shocks at FOAs on it. And I was like, "Oh, we could use this for pro mod classes, but we tried it in." And I did mediocre. <laughs> it wasn't like a car that was necessarily built all the way for rock crawling. And I did a bunch of rock crawling in it. And then let's see, Master Pole at the time was my sponsor. And they were, so they were like, you guys got to do this King of the Hammers race. And this was way back in the day. And they're like, if you go, we'll pay your entry fee. Well, the entry fee was like $350 at the time. It was back. 2010 right it was right it was a way different thing than it is today um so we tried to go do it and we went out there and it was a wild experience we had probably 15 guys and we rented one cab over rv from some rv place and we all slept in that rv like i think i had two guys sleeping underneath the camper there's like a storage compartment big enough for an air mattress so we had people <laughs> underneath there showed up and you know at the time it wasn't there wasn't like designated spots we just camped in the middle of the desert and we camped apparently day before the race so like you guys got to move your camp you guys are on the start finish line We're like what are you talking about we had no idea we had literally been camping like right on the straightaway from the start line <laughs> so that started our king of the hammers experience it was it was I mean, I think we made it 40 miles and we overheated about 10 times and sucked and realized that we need to do major changes to the car to actually went to, you know, do good to the hammers. So that started my ultra four career back then. Let's talk about that progress from that first race to when, you know, you built a new car and, and what was the, what was the mind frame, the frame of mind going into that? <laughs> It's, it's been a learning, you know, like when you start in a sport that's new, there isn't a whole lot of education you can get from too many other people because they're on the same boat. We were all kind of learning how to make this work. So we, we started with that buggy and it had a 
five liter because I basically took my Bronco two and I stripped all the parts out of it, and that's what I used to build the buggy. So it was a very inexpensive buggy to build. Um, had the five liter in it for a while, and it had a front mounted radiator that was way too small. And so after the first King of the Hammers, we brought it home, and you know I was I was excited. I, I wanted to to do well. This was like a new challenge for us, and all my buddies were they wanted to kill it too. So we took the back buggy and we pulled the filer out and then we put a junkyard 5.3 in it. We put a rear mounted radiator in it, put all kinds of cooling on it. Cause that's what we thought, you know, was the issue was the cooling. So we'd only made it that far, the hammers and we realized that we just need cooling. So we put the engine in, put a bunch of cooling in. And then the next year we went, I think we finished the hammers that year. So the following year in 2011, I believe we finished in that car. And uh, things at Hammers progressed quite quickly. I mean, it's still progressing. Uh, so we soon learned that that car, I think I raced it one more year and I was doing backdoor going up and I snapped the front link off the front axle and that took us out. And then at that point we would fix it and we're like, all right, crap, it's like, let's throw this thing away. Let's, let's get a faster car. Cause it only took like one or two years and everybody in ultra four was now like getting fast. Right. <laughs> so it was a quick, it, it, it turned real quick. Um, so yeah, then we, we drove that car for a little while and then decided to, to build a faster car. So I sold that car. I went back East and the guy is still racing that car in like the lion mountain, I believe series. Right. Okay. So he still races that my first buggy. Um, we, the first couple of years I started meeting people out there at the lake bed and one of my good buddies, Nick Nelson, him and I met down there actually at the hammers in the lake bed and we got to know each other and we we're like, dude, you need a faster car. And Nick's like, well, I know how to build you a faster car. And so he was driving for Jimmy's 404 at the time. So I got in touch with Randy and we talked about building a, uh, a long travel straight axle car. So we built a rear engine trailing and leading arm car. And I put a LSX 454 in it. So this was like going from a 5.3 to an LSX was like a huge jump. I mean, we're talking, you know, triple the horsepower from a junkyard car. Right. <laughs> so it was, it was, it was awesome. And we built that car. I think in 2012 or 2013 and that year in 2013, we got second in the nation. So it was, it was a fast reaction car. We were doing really good. Um, I drove for Falcon tire at the time and we literally lost first place that year at nationals by like two minutes and we lost it, but we also blew seven tires. So we had a rough go that nationals. Um, we, every time we'd come into the main pit, I basically had like flat tires, <laughs> like either one or two. Wow. That sucks. So it was, it was a rough race. It was a really rough race. I remember that race really well. Cause it was, it was a wild one. Every lap, just driving back on a flat. Cause we didn't want to stop. We we're just like, I'm not stopping. I'm just going to drive on a wheel all the way through. Um, but yeah, that was the start of that. That's, that was our next progression to race cars. So it was, it was a quite a jump. Car was a lot faster. I believe in 2000, 
2014, I uh, got picked up by Nitto Tire. So they saw us at Nationals just struggling. And I believe it was uh, Mel Wade was talking to Nitto at the time. They're like, did you see that guy? Like, he's super fast. Like, you need to put him on the team. Because I think Mel was on Nitto at that time. And that kind of got us the Nitto step in. All my other buddies and Jamie's 4 for all on Nitto. So they kind of, that was a good way for us to get in the program. And then you're still running, you're, you have an IFS car now, don't you? I do. Yeah. So I, I drove that straight axle car up until 2016 and then I sold it to the Chinese and I flew to China and I raced the King of China. So I raced in China that year. So a bunch of us went over there. It was, you know, it's like I think Randy Slauson was there and Tom Ways was there and Nick Nelson came with us and I think Brian Caprera was there, I believe. We were all went over to China for the first time and raced over there in that car. And that's what got me that race and selling my car is what got me the funds to build my IFS car. Okay. So and I, go ahead. Oh no, yeah. It was a it was a wild experience. China was you know, crazy <laughs> the, the i've heard some of the stories um just the the locals there were just absolutely amazed watching what you guys were doing oh it was amazing it was the locals were blown away not really by me but all my buddies because they were like white guys with huge beards like blew them away <laughs> so they wanted pictures all day long of that of dudes with beards. <laughs> it was like, it was so crazy. And they built this, it was, if you think of King of the Hammers, but then you think of like luxury King of the Hammers, they built like this giant, I remember you go to like restaurants that had turf down and they had couches outside in the middle of the desert and they had all this stuff. It was, it was wild, but then it was also tons of bugs and it was gnarly and you're in the middle of nowhere. And the food was a little different for most people. So it was kind of getting used to your stomach, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it was, it was a, it was a very cool experience. And I mean, I, I would, I don't regret going at all. I got to go to some crazy places. Like they had over there, they had these wheathy people would have private wheeling mountains. They owned like the whole mountain and they built like a clubhouse and we went to one and, and they're like, yeah, you just go wheel wherever you want. We own this whole area. So we were just, they, they shipped all the cars there. We got a wheel there. It was incredible. It was a super cool experience. Like one of the big, one of the funniest things I remember is if you think of like Harbor Freight, when you go to China, it's like every store is an aisle of Harbor Freight. So there'd be like the chainsaw aisle and that'd be like a store in China. And then you would go to like the zip tie store, <laughs> you know, like there. <laughs> They were all next to each other. We went to one store and we're like, oh, we want to like, we need to cut some tires because it was super sandy. And I was the only person to bring paddles. So it was that car like dominated on paddles, but they wanted everyone else to keep up. So we're like, well, let's just cut tires. So we went to the chainsaw Harbor Freight and we go there with like a translator, find a chainsaw for probably like 50 bucks. And uh, I think it was Tom was asked the guy like well how do you know if this thing works and the guy just literally like i think he was smoking a cigarette or something and just brings the thing outside and just starts the chainsaw up 
in the street. <laughs> like, Here you go. This is your chainsaw. It works. And we use that thing to cut tires. That's uh, that's amazing. So you guys are yeah. grooving and cutting tires with a chainsaw. With a Harbor Freight chainsaw. We're out Harbor there. Harbor Freight chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I would love to see videos of all that. That's That sounds pretty cool. I think I got, I probably have a video of that somewhere, back somewhere in my phone. I probably got that, but it, it was wild. It was, it was super cool. I don't think I would ever go back to that area of China, but it was, it was a very cool experience. It's just a different, it's not what you expect. Like we, we flew into, I think Hong Kong or Shanghai or something first. And we got to stay there for today. And that was like a big city and, a little different and then you go out in the suburbs and it was wild it was just wild to see it's a totally different you know it's not in the u.s at all <laughs> right right we're spoiled over here <laughs> so you uh you came back out and rock crawled at we rock this year um yeah i really appreciated that and it was good seeing you um hadn't seen you in quite a while what'd you think of uh going slow again Oh, I, I really enjoy it. I have so much fun. I, I haven't had a rock. I've never really had like a real rock crawler um, until this year. I had my, my buddy James Tracy builds a lot of portal cars that, that actually probably compete in We Rock. Um, but uh, he, I was like, dude, I just want a buggy that I can pre-run the hammers in and I can go play in. And so he built me a four-wheel steer uh, buggy that we put like a five-on-horse LS in it. And then I used some parts from race cars. It's got a Turbo 400 in it and an Atlas and Spider Tracks and 40 Spline. And I've had so much fun just going back to like the roots of Wheeling this, this last year. It's been incredible. And then going to We Rock, it was fun to just get like I did okay. I think we got like fourth, but just to see how like incredible it's, it's a totally different form of off roading, right? Than Ultra Four. Like, you know, the race car you going up rocks and it's a point and shoot game. It's like, I'm going to pick this line and I'm going to muscle my way through this line. And that's how I'm going to get through it in a big ass race car. One or a crawler. It's like, you're just finessing and working your way through. And then you throw freaking cones in there and it's like, Jesus, this is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't get to pick your own line. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a totally different thing. And it was a lot of fun. It's challenging. And I had a great time as, I've had a great time wheeling with it's it's wild how there's like a separation between like rock crawlers and my like race buddies. Right. Like I have like the family when we go racing, I know everybody, but I haven't hung out with rock crawler people in a long time. And it's like, these are all people that I started when I was young wheeling with, and they still are out there wheeling and they came out to the comp and they're competing as well. And it's cool that to see them again, it's like, we all, I lost like a, you know, a decade of seeing these guys and now we're back at it playing with each other in the rocks. Right. And a lot of the guys that like yourself that come back out and experience it again, realize, you know, they, what, what guys have told me is that it's like, what I miss about the rock crawling while we're racing is that, is that personal interaction all day long, you know, during the racing, you know, you're, you're constantly working on the car, you know, your, your, your soul, your sole focus is to get that thing on the, on the racetrack and then maintenance and everything else you have to do beforehand and after, you know, right after or during. 
And so it's a lot, it's a lot harder to socialize with a bit larger group. And with oh, the rock it? crawling, it's just, it's so much more laid back. hundred percent. Like, I totally agree. That's a great analogy. I mean, it's, it's when we're racing, yeah, it's me and my crew and we're just thrashing on the car and even at hammers. I mean, you're there for two weeks of the hammers and I see, I see the guys, you know, all my buddies and stuff. It's mainly in passing when we're like running around trying to find parts or like trying to sign up or get everything ready for the race. That's when you see everybody you stop and chat with them, but you don't really get to like hang out. And it, man, wheeling is it's a totally different thing. Like you're you're definitely like you do a course and you're hanging out and chatting with your buddies and you're not having to thrash as much. I mean, I just like put pump gas in that thing and I grease the U joints and we're good to go. Like, like it's not I'm not doing anything else beyond that. Exactly. I for me, you know, the King of the Hammers, I think, and Dave has done a phenomenal job with that with that style of rock sports. I mean, he's built something that's just pretty insane. And, you know, everybody is, has bought into the whole concept and everything. But with me, it's always been about the people. So when I go and hang out, when I was, you know, the last couple of years that I went to the Hammers, it was, you know, I'd go walk by the fire at night and I knew nobody. Yeah. Um you know, everybody I knew was in their pits working or hanging out. If they weren't working, they were hanging out in the pits, you know, with, you know, their, 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 their group, their team. And, you know, maybe there'd be a couple, you know, one or two other teams hanging out with them and stuff, but it just didn't seem like there was that much, you know, like what er there is in rock crawling where everybody's there all day long, you're together in the evenings, you know, and it's just, more social time, I guess, is what it is. And it just, for me, without being part of one of the race teams or working for Dave, it became, it just became too much of a hassle. You know, it wasn't as fun, I guess. Yeah, but, it's definitely different. I mean, in the early years of Hammers, there was always people at the fire pit and you're always hanging out and partying together. And then, man, it's just, it's, it's turned into, it's serious. I mean, it's, we're there to win and we're, we're there. It's a business. It's full on business. And we're, it's funny because yeah, back in the day, when we first started King of the Hammers, we'd be, you know, we'd wrench during the day, we'd party at night and we'd go practice during the day and we'd party again at night. And now it's, dude, I probably, I maybe have a beer a day and that's it. And I'm like to bed early, <laughs> I'm up early, like wrenching and doing logistics and figuring everything out. It's a serious thing. And I, I get it. It's just like, we're all investing a ton of money and time to, to go race hammers. So it's serious stuff. So it's when I get to go rock crawl, it's for me, when I get to go rock crawl, it's I'm not, I'm, I want to do well, but right. this isn't, I want to also go hang out with my buddies and have a good time. So it's, it's a little, it's a little different. It's way more laid back. I, I do really enjoy that part of it. Cool. So then, um, what's, what are you looking at for the future as far as, you know, your program? Uh, I am still going to race. I, I, if I, right now we've got the car torn down. I lost an engine. I was out doing some film work with some rally cars and I lost my engine in the race car. So it's currently getting rebuilt. Um, we'll still race as much as I can in ultra four, but I do 
I'm excited that I have this rock crawler now because now I can also do other events with it in the race cars. Like I couldn't go to like Easter Jeep because there's, it's just, you don't take the race car to Moab and drive Jeep trails. It just would piss it off and I've done it and it's not fun, (laughs) Right. but I can do more events now that I have a crawler. So it's, I'll probably still be doing the same program I've been doing now as, as much races as I can get to with the cars in, in decent shape. And then I'll do off-road events in the crawler and try to do some content stuff. I like, I do really enjoy going out with buddies and filming and doing content things. So that's definitely my path. I'm not full on race car driver. I like to like, I love to race and I want to do well, but I also want to go have fun and film it. Good. Glad to hear that. And then of course, you know, family, Family is still number one. Family is number one. So if I get in the races, I can get in that fit in our schedule. Um, but yeah, family comes first. So whatever we can do with the family. And like, that's why I try to kind of involve them in, in racing. Like my girls, I've taught them how to drive the crawlers. They start on the crawler and they're, they're out there when we have time to take them out and they're learning how to wheel and, and stuff like that so it's it's cool to try to get them a little bit into the sport and when i get to go to races i i bring them and they can enjoy some sort of vacation unless it's in the middle of nowhere <laughs> right and how old are the girls again uh 11 and 13 11 and 13 yeah they're of the age they should you you should get them into competitive crawling unless, unless they're really into you know they're doing club soccer and stuff they're, they're doing the club soccer. The oldest, we had uh, side-by-sides as well. And we were at Easter Jeep a couple years ago. And the oldest, we had like a near-death experience with the two girls. So they they rolled off a cliff at like 50 miles an hour uh, and crushed the cage. And it, they were all good. We went to, took them to the hospital and they were all good. But it scared the oldest one like pretty bad. She was really good at driving and that kind of took her back a couple notches. So we're working on her, but the youngest one is, is, is into it. So she's, she'll be out there playing with cars and we'll see if she gets into more competitive stuff. There you go. I know that, you know, what I've noticed over the last couple of years is that we're getting the young ladies started in rock crawling, you know, and it's dads that, that have been around the scene forever and maybe they don't have, sons you know to to carry yeah. the torch you might say but the girls are enjoying it and doing quite well i mean we had this season in the sportsman b class we constantly had first second and third were you know either husband and wife teams or um father and daughter teams uh it's super cool that's like definitely would be a a dream of mine if they they do enjoy it so they they like they like doing it and we'll see if it what it comes out of it um i wanted to build them a little portal car so they could have something to play so we'd have you know a seat for everybody in the family to go out and play right uh, so we're working on that uh and if they enjoy it and they want to do it i'll definitely take them around and they can do it i'm not going to hold them back that's for sure cool, <laughs> cool. that's good so, to hear so yeah what uh I saw some uh, pictures on social media. You guys on a boat. Do you own a boat or are you guys just out with somebody else? 
Uh, no, I don't own a boat. I okay. wish I did, but it's, yeah, we go up, we go on a friend's boats. <laughs> okay. Okay. I was just, we man, live. That's a lot of toys. If you're doing the racing boats and, you know, and rock crawling. <laughs> Definitely. We just, I would love to get like a, a wakeboard boat. Cause I used to wakeboard a ton and I used to surf a lot. Um, but you know, other stuff gets in the way like time wise, but I'd love, I was just talking to my wife about this, like a little bit ago. I was like, I just really want to get a wakeboard boat just so when my girls grow up and they go out on their friends' boats, cause we live really close to a lake. So we're, you know, five minutes from the lake. It's like, you know, friends as they get older are going to have boats. And I just don't want to be that person that just like sits on a boat and doesn't want to like get in the water and do stuff. I'm like, I want them to know how to do it. So they can get on the boat and they can show everybody else up. <laughs> you yeah, <know>? There you <laughs> go. <laughs> that that's a that's good motivation and that's a great way to you know to get the your significant other to buy into the concept oh she was all about it after i said that <laughs> yep awesome awesome so the uh it sounds like sounds like you got a pretty good life going on right now it's pretty good it's busy we're just you just got to it's just a daily grind. That's the only thing we got to do fun things, but you got to like earn it kind of thing. So we're, our weekdays are, are full of, of work and soccer. And then we try to fill our weekends up. So it's hopefully we can keep going with it and just power through it and have as much fun as we can and travel as much as we can while we can and enjoy it. So I'm hoping that, you know, in five to 10 years, I can slow things down a little bit with the business and actually enjoy more more than we already did. <laughs> Excellent. So I'm going to uh I'm gonna pitch to you the idea of getting involved with Ormhoff, the off-road motorsports hall of fame. Uh-huh. This year we finally have I mean, we've had we have two rock crawlers, what I consider true rock crawlers, in the Hall of Fame up to this point. And that's Dean Bullock and Shannon Campbell. You know, they both cut their teeth on in rock crawling. They raced. They did a bunch of other things, but you know, their rock crawling was their. You know, they were successful Friend. there first. You might say. This year, we have a couple of guys being you know Roger or Brad, Brad Lovell, Lance Clifford, and then Randy Anderson, who was the spotter and builder for Walker Evans. Those guys are all going into the it being inducted into the Hall of Fame. And I want to push everybody that's in the rock motorsports to get involved with with Ormhoff. You can become a member for like twenty-five bucks a year or something like that. But the only way we're gonna get rock crawlers and rock racers really into the hall is by getting more power in the hall which means more more people, you know, joining and and being active in it. So, you know, I'm I'm called to arms everybody that's listening to this, join Ormhoff, get involved. Um, you know, yes, get involved with land use issues as well, but you know, get involved with the history of our sport, which is what this podcast is all about, but also, you know, that's what Ormhoff is all about is recognizing the heroes and, you know, the heroes are not just racers, they're car owners, builders, designers, fab guys, um, business owners, advocates, 
you know, promoters, that kind of thing. Everybody that's involved, volunteers, you know, it's it's amazing the the people that have been inducted into the hall and now we're starting to get finally get the rock crawling and rock sports in there. So um I'd like to like to push you to think about that because eventually um you know you could be one of those guys that gets inducted. I definitely will. I just it's super cool to see it over the past few years and seeing guys I know getting inducted into it's super cool. Yeah. So Shelly and I have been going to the to the induction dinners um for years and it really is kind of cool to see rock sports being recognized along with you know the desert racing that's been around for over 50 years and uh you know and then along with the rally drivers and everybody else that's involved motorcycle guys that you know we're finally uh we're finally being accepted so yeah. it's kind of cool <laughs> that's super cool i mean it's it's pretty wild it's it's wild to like grow up and race and do and rock crawl and know all these guys too it's and the people that are getting inducted in the Hall of Fame, it's like, man, I, I've known that guy for a really long time. It's cool to see them getting recognized. I agree. I agree. So is there anything that we haven't touched base on that you, you'd like to to talk about or do you want to share? I don't know, man. I'm, I'm just uh, just racing and trying to have fun as much as I can. I don't, I don't know much beyond that. <laughs> Hopefully I'm out there as we rock some more. How about how about if somebody wants to get involved with uh with say a team that's you know or become a driver or that you know a competitor or even just a part of a crew for an ultra four team, what would you suggest their avenue be? Uh if you wanted to become a driver, I would definitely start out with a lower class, I would not, these days I wouldn't jump straight into the limited class. It's too, it's just insane. So it'd be good to get into one of the, the other classes. So there's a lot of cars out there for sale. And so buy some car that's already kind of ready to go. And you may have to like deal with some of their gremlins, but you're not starting from scratch. At least you're just dealing with a few things. Right. Um, if you have a good group of buddies, that's all into to wrenching and wheeling and, find that group of buddies and see if you can come out and race with us. And we're, we're always looking for more racers. There's a lot of racers out there, the hammers, but there's, there's always room for more. Um, I think, I think getting on to a team to help it's, it's a little difficult depending on which series you're trying to be in. If you're trying to jump right in and like help with the unlimited guys, a lot of unlimited guys now have like teams, you know, it's, it's like legit. <laughs> Uh, but you can definitely come and help out and see how it all works and talk to guys. And if you haven't been to the hammers before, it's like a bucket list thing to come check out and walk around and talk to people. I mean, it's, it's an experience all on its own. Right. And, and don't go by what I said about, I don't have as much fun at, at the hammers any longer <laughs> because I'm jaded. I've been doing it for so many years. Yeah, you know, I mean, I started hanging out in the hammers in 99, I think it was, um, actually 98. And, you know, I'm just, I'm over certain things as you get older. But again, you know, I'm yelling at people to get off my lawn and, you know, out at the marina, I'm always, you know, I'm the wake police too. So, you know, that's (laughs) that's what happens when you get older, you get less tolerant of things. But yeah, the hammers and king of the hammers is a bucket list item 
I think yeah. everybody that is a Wheeling fan of any type, is, you know, should should be out there at least once and experiencing it. Yeah, hundred percent. You could bring anything out there at that point. Like the hammers, you could drive a car out there to the lake bed. But even if you have an overlander or whatever, just come out and experience it once. Like I always tell people, they're like, "Oh, I've been meaning to come out. I've been meaning to come out." I'm like, "Dude, you just you just got to come once. You don't you got to come see it and just see what it how crazy it is. The hardest, the craziest part is, is most people that haven't been there don't know what it came from. And like we've been there so long, we you know we've seen it grow. And now it's just, it's insane. Like I'd probably don't even leave the pit at night ever anymore. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's like Mad Max. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It's, uh, it's, it's insane out there in, in the general population, especially close to the, to town, to Hammertown. Um, you know, everybody's partying, everybody's having a good time. Um, you know, it's, it's, it is, it is a wild scene. That's for sure. It's definitely wild. And if you haven't been, like, I would just say like, just be smart because there's a lot of people out there and you don't know what other people are going to do or how much they've been drinking. And it's just kind of the thing where it's like camping a safe spot. It's, it's like going to the dunes on a big weekend. You just got to be like safe and be smart about what you're doing and Make sure you're well seen at night and just come out and enjoy it and don't make it dangerous. Yeah. If you're walking around out in the, out in the hammers area at night in dark clothing with no light on or no reflective light, it's, it's not a smart move. <laughs> Definitely not a smart move. Not anymore. Not anymore. There's way too many people out there. Well, Jason, I want to say thank you so much for the um the hassle that i put you through trying to get this recording equipment to work um whether it be phones or cords or the or my p4 recorder anyway but uh you know we got it worked out we got uh we got an interview in and i want to say thank you so much oh of course i appreciate it i was it was cool to see you at the last comp and just catch up and i'm happy to jump on here anytime and talk excellent well have a great day um, hopefully I get to see you pretty soon and, uh, it was a great talk. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. You too. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye. Well, that's another episode of conversations with big rich. I'd like to thank you all for listening. If you could do us a favor and uh, leave us a review on any podcast service that you happen to be listening on or send us an email or a text message or a Facebook message. And let me know uh, any ideas that you have, or if there's anybody that you have that you think would be a great guest, please forward the contact information to me so that we can uh, try to get them on. And always remember, live life to the fullest. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and live life with all the gusto you can. Thank you.